Jesus really be God? That's the big claim that Christians make and to many people it sounds absurd. To Muslims, to Jewish people, um, it sounds like blasphemy for a person to claim to be God. For certain Christian sects, it sounds like a misreading of the text that somehow people have imported that idea into the Bible. For atheists, it just sounds like an unnecessary superstition. But here's the question, and it's important for us to find the answer to this today. Not what do other people think, not even what do I say Jesus thought, but what did Jesus himself think? What did he claim about himself? Many people would have us believe that Jesus said nothing of the sort, that Jesus didn't even come close to claiming that he was God. But in reality, the issue isn't with Jesus' speech. The issue isn't with the words that Jesus used. The issue is with us and our ears and our eyes, our willingness to hear and our ability to see. Let me give you an example to kick things off. Imagine you're at a dinner party and you're mingling and there are loads of other guests, some of them you know, some of them you don't know. So when you bump into, when you're introduced to someone you've never met before, you kind of ask and answer the same sorts of questions. What's your profession? What do you do? Where do you live? Where do you come from originally? And so the conversation goes person after person after person trading those important facts before moving on. Now imagine you move on and you bump into someone. You strike up a conversation by the buffet table, a scruffy looking gentleman, and the conversation goes in exactly the same way. You ask him what he does and he tells you that he's in politics. You ask him where he lives and then he tells you that he lives in Downing Street, number 10 to be exact. Now, at no point has that individual told you that they're the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. But you've seen enough, you know enough about how things work in our country that when someone tells you that they live at 10 Downing Street, that they're claiming to be the Prime Minister. Whether you can believe that or not, whether they seem like a qualified individual to hold that post, that is what they are claiming. And so it is with Jesus. In John's account of his life, of his death, and what came after that, on multiple occasions, the sorts of things that Jesus said could and should only be uttered by God-made man. In John's Gospel, there are seven occasions, seven times, that Jesus invokes the divine name for himself. I am. The name that God in the Old Testament gave to Moses. It's important as well that when Jesus uses that name for himself, he uses it in the context of revealing himself to be something in relationship with God. Each instance that Jesus says, I am, Jesus is claiming directly or indirectly a link and a portion in the divine. 
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door, the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and I am the true vine. And all of these claims, although they don't sound like it to our ears, perhaps we don't see it in black and white on the page. These are ways that Jesus was claiming to be God, using that name for himself and the things that he linked with it, the bread, the light, the door, the shepherd, resurrection, the way, the vine, all clues, all indicators that what Jesus is doing is claiming to be God himself. Some of them are subtle, some of them are not so subtle allusions to the divine. When Jesus was praying soon before his death, he was praying for his followers. He was speaking the Son to the Father in heaven and he prayed that they would be united as he says, as you God in heaven and I are one. That's a startling claim to make, isn't it? That Jesus saw himself as one with the Father. But I think probably the most interesting, interesting occasion in John's Gospel comes in John chapter 10. It's probably the most innocuous claim that Jesus makes to divinity. But we see in how the people react exactly what is being said. In John chapter 10, starting in verse 27, this is what Jesus has to say. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. I and the father are one. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Um, just out of interest, this has happened before. In John chapter 8, when he's debating with the Jews, they pick up stones to stone him. But in chapter 10, we find out why. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? They replied, We aren't stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Whether we've heard it in what Jesus said or not, it doesn't really matter. Because they'd heard it. They'd understood exactly what Jesus was claiming when he spoke of himself as a shepherd to sheep. Of having sheep in his hands that will never be taken away. Of God being his father. Of he and the father being one. They heard exactly what was being said. And in a similar sort of way that perhaps if you spoke to someone from another country who wasn't familiar with our politics, someone claiming to live at 10 Downing Street might just be like water off their back. They, they wouldn't know what it meant. But for those who know, it couldn't be clearer. And these people knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. And it angered them so much that they took up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, flesh and blood in front of us, you make yourself God. They certainly heard it, whether we hear it or not. 
And Jesus doesn't deny it. Jesus doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, you've got the wrong end of the stick. You've totally and utterly misunderstood, misinterpreted what I've said. No. He moves on. He accepts their conclusion. He accepts how they've understood and heard what he said. So he really did claim to be God. He really did claim to be God. It's tempting, so tempting to go along with that narrative that Jesus never said he was God. It's tempting because we don't read those words spelt out in the way that we would have him spell them out. But he says it, those seven times with the I am's, when he's praying, when he's discussing, when he's claiming to be one with the Father. And here in chapter 10 of John's Gospel, the people certainly understood what he was trying to say. It's tempting as well to dismiss it because we don't like what it suggests about us and the world and how it all fits together. The whole story of God taking on flesh requires certain things of us in response, in acceptance of him. We've got to be really careful not to dismiss it because we've heard it said. We've got to be careful not to dismiss it because we don't like where it leads. But we've got to accept that Jesus genuinely claimed to be God. The early church were persecuted by the local synagogues because they heard what Jesus has said and they followed this God. So he really did claim it and and, and plenty of folks went along with it. But what are you and I to make of that claim? C.S. Lewis, you might have heard of him, he wrote a little story called The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Um, He also wrote this, that when it comes to Jesus, we have three options. Either he's mad, because who on earth genuinely believes that they're God? Or he's bad, because who on earth would lie about such a thing? Or really, he is God. Three options. He's a lunatic, he's a liar, or he is the Lord. It's become fashionable in modern times, in the 20th century, to look to Jesus and instead of calling him God, calling him good. Calling him simply a good teacher. But C.S. Lewis says, Jesus has not left us that option. He's either totally bonkers or really trying to manipulate us. Or he's speaking the truth and he genuinely is God. And we all have to decide whether he is insane or whether he is lying. I mean, others have fallen into both of those character uh, categories since, haven't they? Some people have fallen into both of those categories at the same time. Mad men who are trying to manipulate us. And we file them away as crazy or as evil. Simple as. But we've got to decide, does Jesus fit either of those categories or... Does he fit the final category that's available to us? That he is God himself in the flesh. John actually wrote, that's why he put together his gospel. In order to convince us of that very fact that Jesus is God. And that in being convinced we might believe and find life. So my challenge to you today is to look is to read, is to listen to what Jesus himself had to say 
and to listen to what those who followed immediately after him had to say about it. Don't believe the narrative that Jesus never claimed to be God just because you like what it says. And don't dismiss the narrative, the story of the Bible that Jesus is God because you dislike what it means about the world that we live in and our place in it. My challenge to you today is to find out for yourself, to read John's gospel, to read the other gospels, to read the correspondence of Jesus's earliest followers with eyes open and ears open to see and to hear what he had to say. And then make up your mind. Make up your mind for yourself. Is he mad? Is he bad? Or is he God? Is he a lunatic? Is he liar? Or is he Lord? You see, it is, there's no getting away from it, an outrageous claim. An outrageous claim. If someone makes that sort of claim, you want them to back it up. If you were at that dinner party and you'd struck up a conversation with someone who claimed to live at 10 Downing Street, I presume there'd be further questions. I presume there'd be further interrogation, if you like, challenging them to back up that claim that they hold that office, that position, that seat of power in our nation. I think the same has got to be said for Jesus. If he's claimed these things, which he has, we have to investigate. We have to back it up. As I suggested earlier, many people have since Jesus made exactly the same sort of claim and we'd call you crazy for believing them. But the difference with Jesus and them is that when Jesus claimed it, he backed it up. And he's backed up more spectacularly through his rising to life again. Who has power over life and death? Certainly no mere man has that sort of power. But the divine? God? The author of all things? Yeah, he has power over life and death. You see, the crowning jewel in the life of Jesus was that death wasn't the end. That Jesus himself rose to new and everlasting life on the other side of death. Now, of course, whether you believe that or not, that's, that's a whole different conversation. There are places that you can look and explore. There are arguments that I can make that would help you to see that as outrageous as that claim is, a dead man rising to life, life eternal, as outrageous a claim as that seems, it's the most plausible, plausible narrative we have for the history. But here's the point. If anyone does that, if anyone can conquer death, then you'd be daft not to believe what they say. You'd be daft not to at least give weight and credibility to the things that they'd said in their lives. Because Jesus the author has come and he's come to rewrite the script. That is the story. We've seen enough of humanity to realize that by ourselves, we can achieve very little. We can change very little. But Jesus came, God, God, in the flesh, to make things new again. 
starting with his own body beating death and working its way out from there, Jesus and his resurrection are the first and foundational steps in putting everything right. So don't dismiss it simply because you've heard it said, Jesus never claimed to be God. Don't dismiss it simply because you don't like what it entails and it implies for you. Instead, look, listen, see, hear. God, our author, has come into our story. Jesus, the eternal word, has taken on flesh. And he's done it for a reason. He's done it for a purpose. He's done it to lead you and to lead me and to lead all of us out of darkness back into the light. To help us to find, instead of death, new life. Jesus Christ, God amongst us. Dear God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that you did not say, stay distant and disconnected. But that you involved yourself in our history. You took on flesh. You were born in hopeless, in helpless circumstances. That you experienced so much of the difficulties that are involved in living in our world. But you didn't do it simply to sympathise and to empathise with us. You did it so that you could put things right. I thank you that Jesus is life. God and humanity mingled together wasn't just about tasting and experiencing something which we taste and experience every day, but it was about renewing, remaking, restoring that which had gone so wrong. Lord, help us to have eyes to see. Help us to have ears that can hear. The truth of what Jesus declared about himself, the truth that the rest of the scriptures, the Bible, declare about Jesus, the truth about what you are doing in our world, of how we can respond to that, of how we can follow Jesus into light, into life, into eternity. Lord, help us to see what it is that you have planned because of what Jesus has done, of what he has accomplished through his death his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to be people who dismiss, but people who come and see and hear. For your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name.